Uh, the message of the gospel is a message that everyone needs to hear. Uh, people who have believed it long ago and are still holding on to it, Lord, and, and looking forward uh, to the future promises that will be theirs. And those who have recently believed and are striving to grow in their faith. And, and those, Lord, who have never heard this story. Everybody needs to hear it. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here today, that you would meet them right where they're at. Uh, that, you know, Lord, we, ne we need this message. And I pray, that, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would speak to each person right where they're at. In the name of your Son, I pray. Amen. One question I like to ask people is, what is your favorite story? And I've done this several times before, and I've received many different responses. And if you were to ask a typical American, you would get several different answers. I've made a, a list of popular stories uh, that have captured our imagination. Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Flies, The Wizard of Oz, Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels, Pilgrim's Progress, Moby Dick, Huckleberry Finn, The Great Gatsby, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Brave New World, Catcher in the Rye, Charlotte's Web, The Chronicles of Narnia, Star Wars, Star Trek, and many more. These are books that have been read over and over again by millions. These are movies that different generations have fallen in love with and have come to identify with. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered why we love stories so much? I think for a few reasons. One, it is an escape from reality. Life is hard and we, we get to leave our little world and, and enter a different world for a, a short period of time. Secondly, we like to imagine ourselves in the story. I think it inspires us as we go through our life. Thirdly, we desire a greater world that is out there. There, there must be something else beyond us. However, the main reason I think we love stories is because we're in one. We are in a story. You are in the greatest story that has ever been created. The author of this grand story is God. Stories like the ones listed above are tiny reflections of the grand story. This is the story you are in. And as you read the Bible, you will see this is not Narnia, this isn't Middle Earth, this isn't Never Never Land, or this isn't a galaxy far, far away. It's planet Earth. It's the real world that you find yourself in. And in this story, there is good and evil, the victorious and the defeated. And your destiny hangs in the balance depending on how you live and the choices you make. Where you will spend eternity depends on your response to what the Bible calls you to do. So will you go to the forever world or will your end be destruction? The purpose of this sermon is to show you how you can be certain that your story 
will end well. The way that it will end well is if you are allied with and belong to God's Son, Jesus Christ. So this sermon this morning is calling you to place your trust in Jesus. Place your trust in Jesus. And there are three reasons why this is what you need to do. There are three reasons why. The first reason is that God created you. God created you. As your creator, you are accountable to him. The Bible makes the clear claim that God created all things. Genesis 1.1. This is the verse we've all heard. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what that means is that God created all things. And the evidence is all around us. We live in a logical universe. The universe is logical because God is logical. You see this in the laws of nature. And the universe is orderly because God is orderly. We have 24-hour days. In my entire life, every day has been 24 hours. And, and it's, been that, it's always been that way. We have 365 days in a year. It's the way that the earth moves around the sun. It's been like this from the beginning. God's orderly mind set it up this way. And the universe is beautiful because God is beautiful. Here in Minnesota, we enjoy the beauty of the summer. It's, it's amazing to, to drive around and see all the beauty. The trees, lakes, rivers, the Boundary Waters, the North Shore, Lake Minnetonka, Taylor's Falls, Can the Cannon River that we went tubing down on Thursday. It's beautiful. So many places. Genesis 1 explains that God created all of this. He created plants, land animals, fish, and birds. And when you look at these creatures, what you see is great diversity. Anytime you go to a zoo, you're blown away by how, many, how diverse these animal, fish, and birds are. And, and the d diversity and the complexity comes from a complex God who is all-knowing. There is not one piece of, of knowledge that God does not know. He has perfect knowledge. As majestic and amazing as all of these creations are, his most wonderful creation is you, humanity. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. God's creation of man is utterly unique from the rest of his creation. This is so because God made man in his own image. This is what Genesis 1.27 says. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To be created in his image means that you are like God. You are like God. God thinks, you think. God talks, you talk. God creates, and man procreates through the ability to populate the earth through having children. Man also shows his creative nature in the ability to invent. As you drive to downtown Minneapolis, you're blown away by the architecture. 
man's mind created that. And it ought to amaze you. That came from a mind created in the image of God. And mankind has been able to accomplish some great things in world history. You look at the pyramids, Stonehenge, ancient Colosseums, the seven wonders of the world, the printing press that was invented in the middle of the 15th century, the vehicles that started off with the Model T by Henry Ford, and then airplanes at the beginning of the 20th century. Man's mind created this, a mind that was created by God. And what's amazing, too, is that you can have a device, and many of you have one of these. It, it can be a phone, it can be a GPS, it can be internet, it can be a camera, it, it could do everything, and, and much more. What man has been able to accomplish through his creative mind is amazing. And, and it is also evident that man is made in God's image because man was given the ability to rule. This world is run by humans. We were made to rule. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You were created to rule. You are a remarkable creation of God. And the human race is able to do these great things because God created the human race with this capacity. Animals can't do what you can do. Animals don't build buildings. Animals don't run countries. Because animals were not created in God's image. For animals, it's all about survival. They're wondering where their next meal is going to come from. Our minds are more complex than that. We think about the meaning of life. We think about why we are here. Animals don't have a mind like that. And since God created you, this means that you are responsible to him. He is your authority. He owns you. And as your authority and as your creator, it is your responsibility to love him and to honor him as he rules over you. Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. As we look at the world around us, we can see that things don't work this way. Man has gone his own way. Mankind has not submitted to God's rule. And this is a major problem. The human race has decided to reject God's authority and run life his own way. The way that God set it up is that he would be the ruler of the world and that these creatures who are created in his image would be sub-rulers under him, under his authority. Instead, what has happened is that man has attempted to take the highest place that only belongs to God. So the first reason why you must place your trust in Jesus is because God created you. God created you. The second reason why 
you must place your trust in Jesus is because you have rebelled against him. You have rebelled against him. As I mentioned, God created mankind to be sub-rulers under him. The first two chapters of Genesis is paradise. There is no sin, there's no evil, and everything runs the way it should. This is because mankind rules under God's authority. Then comes Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. This is where the first two humans ever created, Adam and Eve, commit the first sin. And the sin that they are committing is rebellion. They are despising God's authority. And this is how it happened. Now the serpent was more crafty than than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her, to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so what we see here is the first sin in human history. Adam and Eve were created good. Everything that God created was good, including Adam and Eve. And you might think, well, they ate a piece of fruit from a tree. Is it really that big of a deal? Well, it is, because the sin that they committed is rebellion. They went against the authority. God told them not to do this, and they went against it. And that is the fundamental sin of every human, rebellion against God. And the definition of rebellion is to go against your authority. That is the definition of rebellion. And what Adam and Eve did is they went against God's authority. And you may ask, how is this relevant to me? I know that they sinned, but but how does this relate to me? When Adam sinned, he represented the entire human race. Romans 5.12 says that sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it was as if the entire human race sinned in that moment, so that everyone who would come after them would also be sinners. Every person is conceived in sin. And a popular website recently is called Ancestry.com. And some of you may have used it because people are really interested, interested in where did I come from? And it's a, it's a popular website because people want to know their origin. And you can go back several hundred years and it, it's, it's hard to go much past that point. But you can find out, you know, what nationality you are and 
what your family looked like to see if you, you still resemble them, which you probably do. But what's interesting is that if you trace everyone back to the first two people, everyone goes back to Adam and Eve. And as you look at your heart, and as you look at the other people in the world, you can see that every, every person has the same fundamental problem. They sin. And you might wonder, well where, well, where did this start? Well, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You can trace your sinful history back to the Garden of Eden. You will never meet a human who does not sin. Now, there is an exception to this, and I will mention that in a little bit, but, but there is no human who does not sin. Throughout all human history, people have been sinners by nature, that goes back to Adam and Eve, and by choice. Nobody sins out of obligation. People sin because they want to sin. It feels good. You were born a rebel to God, and without God's intervention in your life, you will continue down that path. The sins of anger, pride, jealousy, lustful thoughts, gossip, these are all sins that people plunge themselves into, and it becomes a regular pattern of their life. And every one of us can nod our heads and say, yes, that describes me, that describes my past. And this is a short list of sins that everyone has committed or is involved in right now. And you have these sinful patterns because you are a sinner by nature and by choice. But these sins are not the primary problem. They're the symptom of the problem. The primary problem is your rebellion against God. At the root of all sins is rebellion, going against God's authority, saying, I don't want to do it your way, I want to do it my way. And Romans chapter 3 paints the bleak state that mankind is in. The Bible does not have a very high view of mankind in its present state. Now that being said, it does have a high view in the sense that mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. But his sinfulness, the Bible paints a very bleak picture. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one for God turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to The venom of is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You might say, you know what? I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. I, I do good things. I try, I try to help people out. You know, I know I've committed a lot of sins in my life, but I think, I think the good outweighs the bad. I think, I think I'm a pretty good person. Now, if you honestly evaluated yourself, you will find that what the Bible says about you is true. If you are really honest with yourself, you will find out that what the Bible says about you is true. The human race does not give God the honor that he is due. 
Mankind does not live under God's authority. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The human race has not lived under God's authority, but is, has attempted to run life his own way. So you may think you're a good person, but as you are in the state of rebellion against God, he's not impressed by your good works. He's not pleased by your good works. Now, think about it this way. It's like, it's like a criminal who's, who's running from the law. And as he's running from the law, of course, he, he's despising the authority. And the, and the authorities are after him. They're trying to arrest this man to put him under trial so that he will be punished for the crimes that he's committed. And as they're, they're hunting after him, he, he feeds a homeless man. And, and they witness this event. The authorities, the police are on his trail, and they witness this man in the act doing something good. Do you think the authorities are going to be impressed when they see him doing this? Or do you think they're going to arrest him and, and put him on trial and then sentence him to the punishment that he deserves? The authorities aren't going to be impressed because this man is in rebellion. And, and in your situation, if you have not trusted in Christ, you are in rebellion and your good works mean nothing to God. Isaiah 64 says that your works are as filthy rags. And our world still feels the effects of what took place in the Garden of Eden. There's no doubt about it. Society is a mess. People's lives are a mess. Left to ourselves, we don't, we don't run things well. The national debt of the United States is over $17 trillion. Something went wrong along the way, and it's because man is running it. The depravity of the human race can be clearly seen. 19th century poet Robert Browning, Browning became a Christian from the clear evidence that humanity is sinful. He saw the depravity of man, that it was so bad, that he's like, the Christian faith must be true. The Bible must be true. And that convinced him to follow Christ. Open up your eyes to see your fundamental problem. Your rebellion has separated you from God. You have been cut off from, the, from fellowship with him. The way out of it is to submit to God's rule and God's plan. God has made a way for you to be reconciled with him. This is the good news. There's only good news if, if there is first bad news. And there is bad news, and that's what I've shared with you up to this point. But there is good news. So the second reason why you must place your trust in Jesus is because you have rebelled against God. The third reason why you must place your trust in Jesus is because Jesus alone reconciles you to him. Jesus alone reconciles you to him. Now Jesus entered God's story 2,000 years ago in human history. Now, the Bible is a historical book with historical figures. For example, when Jesus was born, Caesar Augustus was emperor. He's, a, he's an emperor that, that history has well recorded. And Luke later explains all the political leaders 
in the region at the time that Jesus started his ministry. To name a few, Tiberius Caesar was the new emperor when Jesus began his ministry. Pontius Pilate was the governor of the region of Judea. Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was the tetrarch of a different region. And what's interesting is that if you, if you look at secular history and you look at biblical history, they line up perfectly. And that's because the Bible's history is accurate. Jesus is a real historical person. He entered space and time. He was a man just like you and me, in some ways, and in many ways, very different from you and me. The entire New Testament is about him. The 27 books of the New Testament tell his story. And there's plenty of evidence to back up that Jesus was a real historical person. Plenty of evidence. There's Roman historians, Greek historians, Jewish historians that recorded the existence of Christ in history. And no credible historian questions this. The best sources about Jesus are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And obviously, if you're a Christian, you say, well, obviously. But even secular historians say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the best sources for Jesus. And the New Testament explains why this man is the most talked about person in human history. There literally was no one like him. I recently saw Time Magazine did a, an article about the 100 most significant figures in human history. And number one on the list was Jesus. No surprise. Our calendars, date, you know, before Christ, and then Anno Domini means the year of the Lord's favor. Obviously, Christmas and Easter, the two greatest holidays in, in our country's history, come from Jesus. There's literally no one like this man. And people knew there was something special about him when he came into this world miraculously. He was born unlike anyone else. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And Luke 1.35 describes how this miraculous birth took place. And the angel answered her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. And so why is this virgin birth so significant? Now, I mentioned earlier that we all come from Adam and Eve, and we are all conceived in sin. We all have a sinful nature, and therefore we do sin. But Jesus was not conceived in sin. He was born sinless. He was born with perfection. This was God's miraculous work. And Jesus, because he was born without sin, he was able to live a perfect life. And he did. He lived 30 plus years without sinning. Jesus lived like humans are supposed to live. He lived under God's rule. Everything he did was honoring to his Father in heaven. And after 30 plus years of perfection, Jesus went to the cross. 
And God is a just God. He always does what is right. And I mentioned that when someone commits a crime, there needs to be a punishment for the, for the crime that that person committed. And every one of our sins, even if it's a sin against another person, ultimately it's against God. And because God is a just God, your sins need to be paid for by God. Otherwise, God would not maintain his just character. There needs to be a payment for your sin. And your sins are paid for in one of two places. They're either, either paid for in hell, where God pours out his holy wrath against you, or they're paid for at the cross, where God pours out his holy wrath upon his son, Jesus. This is where justice takes place. At the cross, God treated Jesus as your sins deserve, so that everyone who would believe in him would have eternal life. Jesus died the death that you deserve, and God counts it as if you were the one who paid the penalty. Isn't that incredible? So when God looks at you, and when you enter his presence one day, if you have trusted in Christ, there's no more punishment to be paid because the punishment has already been paid at the cross through Jesus' finished work. And you might, be, you might say, well, what's so special about Jesus that made him sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world? There needs to be something unique about this man. And there is something very unique about him because not only is Jesus fully human, he's fully God. When Jesus took on flesh, 2,000 years ago, that wasn't his, the beginning of his existence. Jesus has ex existed eternally. He never had a beginning. This is what John chapter 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14 in John 1 explains what happened 2,000 years ago. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Now, the conflict here is between two parties. It's between God and it's between man. Man has sinned against God. Man is in rebellion against God. And so the, the solution to pain for man's sins can't come from a third party. It has to come between the two parties. And that's why it's so important that Jesus is God for him to be able to pay for your sins. Because what God is doing is he's giving up himself in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And so the conflict is resolved between the two parties. And so nobody can say God is not fair by punishing some innocent third party. Jesus is not a third party. He is God. He's within the two parties. He's within the Godhead. Now, obviously, if Jesus stayed dead, he would not save anyone. He needs to be alive to be able to save you. He needs to be a living Savior. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He was raised, and he stayed on the earth for 40 days. And he appeared to over 500 people to prove that he really was raised from the dead. At the beginning of 1 John, 
The Apostle John says that I touched him. I, I heard his voice. I heard him. To prove that Jesus really was raised from the dead. And if you genuinely trust in Christ, you will go to heaven with God when you die. But you know that your body stays here. Our bodies are buried in the ground. But one day, you will have a resurrection just like Jesus had. Your soul will be reunited with your body, and you will be raised from the dead. This is the hope of the Christian faith. This is the hope of the Bible. This is what everything is pointing towards. This is what world history is pointing towards. And the Bible promises that Jesus will come back. It's over and over again said about in the, in the New Testament. And when he comes back, all those who belong to Jesus will be raised. This is God's story, and you are in it. So my question to you is, with this knowledge, what are you going to do? Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have not trusted in Christ, you are still in your rebellion, and you are on the road to hell. I say that very clearly and very plainly because it's the truth. That is the path that you are on. And many are down this path, and many are in great danger, and they don't even know it. And, and you might be here today, and you might be in danger. You are on the path to destruction. But when you trust in Christ for your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, your sins will be erased, and his righteousness will be credited to you. So that means that when God looks upon you, he not only sees you as sinless, he sees you as righteous, and you are justified before his sight. And you will receive eternal life. Now when Jesus returns, he will bring this world to an end. And there will be a judgment, and there will be a new age that will begin. In this new world, God will once again dwell with humanity. Just like in the Garden of Eden, God was with Adam and Eve. And ever since they sinned, man has not been able to be in the presence of God. But Jesus has provided a way for us to be reconciled to God, where we can one day again dwell with God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So my question to you is that in this new world that God will one day bring, will you be there with him? Will you dwell with him on this new earth? By trusting in Christ today, you can know that you will be there. You can know that you have eternal life. And you can know that this bright future will be yours so place your trust in Jesus. And there are three reasons why, from this sermon, God created you, you have rebelled against him, and Jesus alone reconciles you to him. Now, when I, when I grew up, and, and, we, and we 
preached the gospel and wanted people to believe in Jesus. We used, to, we used to raise hands and we used to sign cards and we used to have people come down to the aisle. And I don't like to do that because it's, it, I think it's too much built on emotion. Um, instead, I, I just want you to understand that this is something that you need to do if you haven't done it. And if, if you want to follow Jesus, it does begin with a prayer. And you can pray something like this, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that as your creator, I owe you allegiance. And I want to submit to your rightful rule. Please forgive me of my sins and give me a new life. And, and Lord, I want to be with you one day. I want to be reconciled to you. Please forgive me of my sins and make me right with you. Pray a prayer something like that. And if you really mean it, if you really mean it, then you will be saved. And you will see a change in your life. You, you really will. The Bible describes what happens to you. It's called the new birth, where God gives you life. What was once dead now becomes alive. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You become a changed person. And God will make you perfect. And when you meet him one day, that, that perfection will be completed and you will be perfect. You will be what God designed humanity to be, which is like his son Jesus. You can have that here today. Now the prayer itself does not save you. Jesus saves you. But in order for any relationship to start, you need to talk to God. And he will receive you. And your rebellion will stop, and you will become a new person. So, I'm calling you here today. Stop your rebellion and submit yourself to God by trusting in his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that, as he said on the cross, it is finished. And the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life." And Lord, I pray that that people would believe it and that you would save many in, the, in this room and in our world, that people need to hear the truth. People need to hear the gospel. People need to hear this story that they're in and what awaits them. And I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are an all-powerful, awesome God. And what a grand story that we live in. And may we submit to your rightful rule. In the name of your Son, I pray. Amen.